0: Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. morning, everybody. We are going to officially dive in. So, do me a solid. Let's get our morning stretch out. Let's let's get the sleep off. Let's get the crusties out of our eyes, everyone. Let's get ready to rock and roll into God's word because he has so much to say to us this morning. So Father, I thank you that uh, you have given us your Bible, your word, because Lord, I don't know what I would do without instructions from you on how to live my life, how to navigate to live in your best and how to navigate to honor you best here on earth. So Lord, I just pray you would give us faith over this next period of time just to hear from you, faith to see you, and faith, God, to believe for whatever's next for all of our lives. Because Lord, just as we're about to read, faith without works is dead, and we have to know what's next for our lives to step into the works you have for us. So Holy Spirit, I just pray you would speak to each and every individual listening, and God, I pray that you would uh, download special identity to them over this next period of time praise in Jesus name amen 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 all right we are in James chapter two and I'm going to be reading from the new living translation this morning uh it's definitely grown to be a preferred of mine uh just as I've been studying but this is such a good chapter uh James is definitely throwing uh a couple good haymakers at, at uh the the scattered 12 tribes, but it's so good because when we get dive into these verses, we kind of find uh, the conviction, but we also find the heart of God. So let's go in verse one. It starts off. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? If you favor some people over others, for example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry. And another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or I'll sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are uh, guided by evil motives? Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who slander Jesus Christ, whose noble name you bear? Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. You are guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all the laws except one is guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you'll be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others but if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions, what kind of faith, uh, can that kind of faith save someone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, Faith by itself isn't enough, unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good works is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions work together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by our faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. James, it sounds like you got a bone to pick with someone. <laughs> what a good chapter! All right, uh, why don't you drop inside of the chat? I would love to hear uh, a verse that stuck out, uh, stood out to you. What is God saying to you? I'd love to just kind of hear from you guys. Um, you know, what's the Lord saying? And we're just going to be breaking it down verse by verse, uh, kind of highlighting a couple different spots in Scripture. But we are starting out with verse one. With this one, it says. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Now, it's uh, uh, it's important to always take text in context. I'm pretty sure I've probably said that 30 times since I've been doing so. Uh, text in context is wildly important. So to get a feel for what James is saying and the message he's trying to convey, Reading the prior chapter is really important. So James had been confronting this group since, you know, the last chapter. Uh, Verses 19 through 27 talk about listening and doing and how it is not enough to be a hearer of God's word, but a doer of God's word. You know, even in verse 26 of chapter one, it says, if you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue. You are fooling yourself <laughs> and your religion is worthless. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty tough words when you think about it. He said, if if you, uh, if you say whatever you want, your tongue is as sharp as a sword and you're like Peter cutting people's ears off in the Garden of Gethsemane with your words. Uh, how can you claim to be a Christ follower? How could you claim to be one who wants to honor God inside of your life? And he says, pure religion is this. Uh, the father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. You see, James from the get-go is really taking a hard stance on we want to be uh, doers of the word of God. We want to be people who read this, this Bible. Uh, it's They have an acronym for it, basic instructions before leaving earth to take the instructions that God has given us and say, Lord, I'm not just going to read this to feel good. God, I'm not just going to read this word and I'm going to white out the areas I don't like, but Lord, I'm going to take you how you present yourself. I'm going to rearrange the way I think and rearrange my life around what it is that you've written. So James has been confronting this group and uh, it's important to know that their doctrine really wasn't the issue. It wasn't that, uh, it wasn't that James was looking at them and saying, man, you know, you really have to adjust in these areas in the way that you view Jesus. You don't have to adjust in these areas in the way you view God. Their doctrine was solid. That's why it says like, you know, you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Their faith was fine, right? They had faith. You see, really the issue was that their faith wasn't affecting how they related to others. And your faith will always affect how you relate to people because your faith, And your relationship with Jesus bleeds into every single area of your life. You know, I was talking to someone recently and uh, they were kind of sharing, you know, uh, we can't do that inside of a church or, you know, they're like, yeah, you know, I want to say this, but I can't say that inside of a church. But, you know, I'll say it to someone outside of church, but not in church. And I kind of said, "I, I love your heart in the sense of you want to honor God inside of his house. But I really want to challenge your thinking because church is not a building church is a person. It's actually the bride of Jesus and you are the church. So your faith bleeds into everything you touch. If you're a business owner, the way you do business bleeds into the uh the way you do business should have your faith bleeding into it. And your business should scream that Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is the one I have a relationship with. Even if you are a wawa checking out people's coffee the joy that you should have on your face as you, as you're checking people out, your relationship and faith in God should bleed through the way we do everything. So the pain point that these people were facing was their faith was not yet affecting certain areas of their life. And James was pointing out that these points were so severe that they had to hear the heart of God on this because the sin that they were falling into was partiality. Uh, The goal of our life and really something that we should grow into is that we treat everyone through the lens of the cross. And I just want to ask you a question this morning. You know, what's your lens? Uh, Obviously, I wear glasses. Uh, I have had two. No, I'm sorry, not two. I've had one eye surgery in my life on both of my eyes. Uh, I had detached retinas from doing mixed martial arts in high school. Uh, I got hit hard uh, one too many times, (laughs) and uh, I now need crazy prescription of glasses. Church, I'll tell you something. When I take these glasses off, I am as blind as a bat. It is a joke. I practically need a walking stick to get around. Uh, When I take these off, my sight and my vision is hindered. It's my lens for life. I need the cross to be my lens for life in the same way I need my glasses to see. You see, because when we look at life through the lens of the cross, we're looking at people through their restored state, not their reality state. Because I'm looking at them how God sees them. I'm looking at them not only through the lens of faith, but the actions I can partner with it to help them get to their next step. So the sin of partiality says, I don't believe everyone is equal at the foot of the cross. The sin of partiality says at the cross, there are some people elevated above others. When church, truth is, that is not true at all. At the cross, we are all equal. At the foot of Jesus, there is not one person who can exalt themselves because he is the only one exalted. The sin they fell into was the sin of partiality. So I want to ask you something. What's your lens today? Your lens might be looking at people uh, through prior relationships. You know, maybe someone's personality type that, you know, reminds you of someone else. And now you look at them through that lens. I want to share with you, have the Holy Spirit change your lens to that of the lens of the cross. Because when we look at life through the cross, we see restoration, we see hope, we see what God wants to do here in the land of the living. So what's your lens, church? All right, let's pick up verse two. For example, because I love James, he not only uh shares the doctrine, but then he gives practical illustration. Suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, Doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Again, James coming off the top rope with us. Um, Right here, as I was reading this, I was kind of laughing to myself because all I could think is, you know, this is like someone uh, kind of coming into one of our church gatherings on a Sunday morning. One person's dressed in GQ and the other person is very obviously, uh, you know, not as well off as that and giving one preferential treatment over the other. When James is saying this certainly should not be true because the way we treat people, again, should be from the lens of the cross. The way we treat people should be from the love of Jesus. The way that we interact should be from the basis of what God has done for us. And, uh, There's also a motive thing here. So what's to say your judgments are guided by evil motives, you know, trying to search the motives of the why behind the what. So the people here uh, were stuck in, let's say, habit of treating the rich better than the poor. Uh, What's the why behind the what? More than likely, these people were trying to uh, get money out of the rich people or get in a solid, let's say, relational standing so that they could get something from them. there is a motive here that I want to speak to God controls our financial strength when we are living in financial freedom God is the one that controls where we're at so uh right here you know our what our calling is is to be a generous steward and the people here were more likely treating the rich better because they wanted to get something out of them but truth is everything that I could ever want or need I want to get from God not from man Now, God can definitely use people. God can speak to someone and say, hey, give this to this person. I've experienced that time and time again. However, we want to live from our source being Jesus, not our source being people. And right here, it was almost like they gave a God spot over to a person where their evil motive was saying, I am going to treat you right to get something from you. When the reality is we are servants church. We are meant to be the people that put our lives forward for other people and and right here uh i kind of i put put this note in here the rich and poor have this alike they have nothing to offer god that he doesn't already have and god wanted to speak to their perspective on people because when we look at god i'll tell you what there's nothing a rich person can offer god that he does not have God has way more money than the richest person here on earth. My God owns a thousand cattle on a thousand hills. My God, the earth is his footstool and he sits on the throne. Come on, somebody. I don't have to worry about how much money someone else has when my God has more than anything I could ever ask, think, dream, or imagine. Riches pale in comparison to the riches that God has. Now, mind you, this doesn't mean that because someone's rich, we treat them poorly, right? The whole point is that treatment comes equally, that everyone gets treated with the same love that Jesus has showed us. And uh, even right here what's it say this discrimination shows that your judgments are guided by evil motives. Now, regardless of the motivation for favoritism, uh, especially in our lives, whether it be race, class, education, gender, culture, We cannot blame society or our upbringing for this tendency that James calls evil. Understand, we're not talking about discrimination between right and wrong based on God's word. We're talking about discrimination where God shows no partiality. Looking at the outside to determine someone's worth and not their God-given value. When we look at someone based on the way that they come off from being either rich or poor, and give treatment based on social status. Church, hear me. We are actually negating their God-given value. We treat people by them being image bearers of Jesus. And you are an image bearer of Jesus, whether you're a Christ follower or whether you're not. You're an image bearer of Jesus just by being the creation of God. And we treat people just as they are, an image bearer of Jesus. So that's kind of like the sin impartiality side that he brings up. And then James starts switching gears just a little bit. I mean, it's still uh, in the same vein, but he starts switching a little bit. Verse five, he says, listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? I love this. Uh, This verse challenged me for a while until uh, the Lord really opened up my eyes while doing ministry. So, I've shared some of my story with you guys. Uh, I came to Jesus uh, back in 2014 and I was, got I got saved in a youth ministry. I shouldn't have been there. I was 20 years old in a youth ministry that had an age get, uh, cap of 18 and loved serving there. I basically got saved, started serving the youth ministry. And shortly after I went and uh, started doing a homeless ministry. God called me to just go roam the streets of Philadelphia, hand out clothes and hand out food. So what's the answer when God calls? Yes, sir. Absolutely done. You tell me where to go, I'll go there. So at the time I had a station wagon and I called it my swagon wagon. I threw my clothes, sandwiches, food, hot chocolate, coffee, all the good stuff in the back of the swagon wagon. And I would drive over to 8th and Market right outside of the Burger King and the Paco station. And I'd pop the trunk and I would feed and clothe homeless people. I loved it. And people started to know, you know, we made relationships. And there was this one guy that struck me one day. He walks up. I used to make go bags and I hand him a go bag and said, man, I'd love to pray for you. What do you have going on in your life? You know, how could I best accurately pray for you? And he shared some of his story. And he was just very honest. He's like, you know, I'm on the streets because of my own doing and and going through his life. And I give him the go bag and just say, man, listen, bless you. I'm praying for you. I watched the guy walk half a block down the street and he gave his go bag away to another homeless person. And like my, my head kind of cocked, I'm like, huh. I wonder why he's giving it away. We have plenty down here. Maybe he just didn't like the food. Well, the next week I see the guy again. I'm like, hey man, just a quick question for you. Last week I saw you pass the bag off. What's up? Like what happened with that? And he mentioned to me, he said, "Yeah, listen, I loved that you gave me that stuff. I loved the food. Definitely wanted the food. However, my friend down there, um, you know, they they needed it more than I do." And I said, "I mean, listen, I, I see you guys kind of on equal footing. You know, enlighten me as to where you are." And he said, "I have faith for what I need. He doesn't yet have faith for what he needs. So, I want to be able to care for him the best I can." I will believe God for my next meal if it means loving him. I was struck because I don't know about you, church, even in the well-off positions that we're in, sometimes my mind, that is not the first place i go because that man was hungry, took the food that was meant for him and passed it along to someone else purely because he had faith for the next thing that God would bring him. And I want to ask you, because this is kind of what James is getting at here a little bit. Where have you placed your faith? Where is your faith put in right now? You know, John Wesley says the last part of a man to be converted is his wallet. Uh, And for some of us, that may be so very true, where the last part of our life that has not yet been given over to Jesus is the wallet, the money, right? Because that money can be a Lord and an idol to us so often. Uh, And I want to communicate to you, there isn't an issue being rich. That's not what James is getting at here. He isn't shaming anyone for being rich or shaming anyone for being poor. Uh, There's an issue with faith being in riches because you're meant to be rich in faith. Your faith isn't meant to be in riches. You're meant to be rich in faith. You see, money can be a stronghold for some of us. And, you know, basically the way to find out, how do I know if money is a stronghold for me if it has a stronghold on you? You know, if money is a stronghold for you, if it has a stronghold on you and you can break the stronghold of money through tithe and giving Uh, the first time, uh, let's say I tithe years and years years ago, my dad and I were in a really rough situation. I was a Christ follower. I was working seven days a week at the time. I wasn't going to church on Sundays. And uh, the Lord spoke to me and just said, I want to bring you breakthrough, but first you have to give me what belongs to me. And I was really confused. I knew I heard teaching about tithing in the church, but I was like, God, I I don't even have the margin for it. I don't have, like, please, what do you mean? Like 10% of my income, are you kidding? You know, the bills were barely meeting as it was. And it was on a Saturday night, he spoke to me. Sa- Sunday morning, uh, I decided to write the tithe check. I sent it to church. Monday, I'm sitting inside of the restaurant I was working in. And don't you know, someone walked into the restaurant handed me a check. This happened to me three times working in a restaurant, handed me a check and said, this is for you. God told me to give this to you. I don't know what it's about, but I feel like you really need this money. And this is someone I had no idea who they were. Don't you know that dollar amount was the exact dollar amount that I had tithed, that I had given to God, that I needed to make rent work that month. You see, tithing and giving brings you supernatural breakthrough breakthrough and brings the supernatural of God's bank account into our bank account where we say, Lord, I trust you with my finances. Lord, I believe this belongs to you. And then my giving brings me into blessing. So that's kind of the the faith aspect. I want to jump down. Uh, Let's jump to where we at here. Verse 14. It says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, Now, I want to speak to this because there's a theological concept in here, so we're going to talk a little bit of theology and then we'll get to the practical. On the theology, James is not contradicting saving faith, right? Ephesians 2:8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works, lest no man should boast. The first verse in the Bible that I have memorized: You are saved by God's grace, where He looked at you and said, "You don't deserve it, but I'm giving it to you anyway." And we access that grace only one way, through our faith. When we say, Jesus, I receive you as Lord. God, I have done wrong, but what you did on the cross is greater. Come into my life. I want to have a relationship with you. Guide and direct my life. James isn't contradicting saving faith. However, he is pointing out simply that faith has a vibrant way of life. You see, faith itself leads others to Jesus, the one that we've put our faith in. Because here, and I love James, he brings up the spiritual dynamic, but he brings up the practical too. If you look at someone, a brother or sister, someone in the faith has no food and no clothing and you say, bye, hey, have a great day. I'll pray for you, (laughs) right? Come on, somebody. I'll pray for you and then you know You know, well, when you walk away, I'm not praying for them. (laughs) As soon as you said, I'll pray for you, that that was the last time you put prayer and their name in the same sentence. And you walk from the situation and totally forget, and they stay in the same situation. You see, James is saying, we want us to pray for people. We want us to have faith for people, but we also want to offer practical hope, right? Just like we got done talking about over the Christmas season the practical hope that is found inside of Jesus. When we talk to someone and they're facing something, even if you don't have the solution in and of yourselves, pray, ask God, Lord, what can I do to be a blessing to them? You know, church, so often, and this is just the ministry life, right? So many people will come to us with whatever problem they have. And sometimes we just very simply don't have a solution to what they're going through. Can I tell you, a phone call means the world. When someone's going through a situation and you just call them on a daily, every other day basis, hey, I'm just caring for you. Like, how are you feeling today with your situation? Can I pray for you? That's a practical hope of just caring for their emotions, right? Just caring for them when they're going through stuff. Because he says, if you have faith, we show it by our actions. And verse 17, just like it says, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. It is impossible, or excuse me, it's possible to have a useless faith that is not accomplishing anything in life. If you say you trust God, it should affect your feet. Once you become a Christian by faith alone, your faith has to get married to works. Then what you believe about eternity will become real in your history. Your faith should have feet. You see, your faith starts having feet and walking into your life and starts walking out. Just with say the uh, the uh oh the armor of God was it the the shods of uh the gospel when you're going forward and you are walking in the works of Jesus Christ, saying, My God has saved me. We want to see breakthrough inside of your life. And you see, your faith, just like I said, gets married to your works. You can kind of view when you start serving God. When you step into the ministry, the thing he's called you to, you know, we have some people onboarding onto our youth team right now. And the way I like to explain it is you are now marrying your faith to works. You're marrying what you say you believe in Jesus and putting it into action to invest inside of people. And that's anything you do in life. You step into outreach. What I'm saying is my faith now has works, right? Come on. Heart for the house is this Saturday church, a practical way of showing faith showing up to heart for the house even though you may not want to even though you don't need to know how to use a drill to show up for heart for the house there are stuff that need to get swept you know we show our faith practically when we say God put feet to our faith Lord I don't want to just say I believe in Jesus I want to serve Jesus here too and that goes with that person you drive by that's I, I saw him what, was it just yesterday there was a homeless guy uh right by English Creek and you're driving past and it's like okay Where's the nearest Wawa? So I can get him a sizzly and hand it off to him. Well, you know, he's probably not on the Daniel fast. I can get him something to eat, right, church? So you want to say, where can I put feet to my faith? And just soon I'm going to give a little plug without revealing. Uh, soon we're going to be giving a great on-ramp for us to give feet to our faith inside of the church. So I would start praying now as an application. God, where do I need to start showing my faith by my works? Where in the house, in the heart for the house, uh, outreach, youth, kids, come on, uh, GX, Lord, how do I need to put feet to my faith? Lord, what would honor you and glorify you best inside of my life? So let's let's uh, go through verse 18. It says, now some may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith? if you don't have good deeds i will show you my faith by my good deeds my faith is shown before my even open my mouth <laughs> i show my faith by my life before my speech church you may be the only bible the only gospel the only experience that someone has with jesus if you are the only experience someone has with christ show them christ the best way you can love them and I want people to know I'm a Christ follower long before I ever speak. Uh, I have a friend of mine and before they knew that I was a Christ follower, like we would just kind of interact with each other and we saw each other multiple times. And uh, I was just loving them. Like I, I, I was just kind of being a Christ follower. Right. And I noticed the first time we connected, uh, I mean, they cussed like a sailor. I'm not even playing church. It was like every other word, just bleep, bleep, bleep and it was great connect with them. and i never said anything but obviously i don't cuss and we had a great conversation uh you know it, it was great hey wanna connect yeah, i'm sure second time we connected i noticed the language started to clean up a little get a little bit third time we connected i noticed there was not one single word that was said and finally the conversation comes up of hey what do you do for a living and i said oh yeah i'm a pastor and they said i knew something was different i just didn't know what it was and of course my first question is always is it a good different or a bad different i need to know like am i just being weird <laughs> or or do you feel safe and loved <laughs> like like you know shoot it straight with me uh and they said no i i just feel cared for it's just different and they found out i was a christ follower before i ever opened my mouth they started fishing wondering what's different about this church let people know that you love Jesus through your love for them before you ever say anything. You know, there's an old saying, uh, preach the gospel, use, use words if necessary. So what we do is our gospel being preached is from our actions, our gospel being preached from our works, our gospel is being preached by what we do. And my words just follow and confirm what it is that they're experiencing. You know, we, uh, we, we as a staff were listening to a podcast recently and it has to do with like church culture stuff and just different things to tweak you know I'm just kind of letting you know on the back end right in this podcast I loved what they brought up they said our right, we want our greeting ministry hospitality you know our church from the door to the worship center to love on people so much when they walk in the front door So that by the time they hear the message of Jesus in the sermon, they are just getting validation for the love they experienced in the lobby. That is so incredible to me. So basically what this thing is saying is we want them so very loved from the point that they walk into the door to the seat that all they're getting is a validation on their experience. All they're getting is, hey. This is the Jesus that you just experienced in the lobby when someone waved at you and said good morning, when Doug dances with his pop-up signs, come on, when Alicia's brewing the coffee, come on somebody, when Christy is making sure that we got fresh water and donuts ready to roll. And we want to make sure that our love is getting as showing before the message of Jesus is ever even spoken about, because believe it or not, God, uh, people can see the love of the father inside of your eyes. All right, James closes this chapter up, and we're going to close it up with this too. Verse 26. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Your faith, when not partnered with good works, feels like it's dead. And God has a very special thing that he does to dead things. He brings them to life. (laughs) Jesus doesn't just leave things dead. That's why I love Jesus. Because he says, listen, the body, without breath, dead, gone, useless. Your faith, no works, dead. It has no life coming out of it. Why? This life he's talking about is life inside of others. Right here, he's saying, this Jesus that we follow can bring life to your faith through works. Some people, I shouldn't say some, I, 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 I see it all the time. We start to feel like we're getting stale inside of our faith. We start to feel like we're getting stuck in a rut, stuck in a cycle. Uh, We, you know, and it's many times the first thing that gets affected is we either stop serving or we stop going to church and our church attendance will decrease. We'll start serving less. And we just feel like we're in a rut. We feel like we're stuck. Um, You know, it's like almost like a why bother mentality. Uh, I want to tell you something, when we show up to serve with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength, and know the why behind the what I'm serving so other people experience the God I put my faith in, it is so very hard, (laughs) it is so very hard to get stuck in those ruts, because that why starts to inspire you to give, be a hope dealer, right, to be a life giver, to show others the life that we believe in. And I, I watch and it breaks my heart. I just got done speaking with someone a couple weeks ago. They said, Yeah, I'm honestly, I just I don't know why I even serve anymore. You know, I don't know why I'm coming to church. And all I could think is we need to find a place for you where when you serve, you feel inspired, where you serve, you feel full, where you put your yes to, and it's and all of a sudden your faith starts coming alive. You know, there are some people, and my wife is one of them. I'm I'm gonna out her. My wife is one of them. My wife serves in youth. And she loves serving alongside me. But can I tell you, church? My wife doesn't like teenagers at all. She'll love them. Can't stand teenagers. Me? I love teenagers. <laughs> I love them. They're my people. Like I, I don't know what it is. Uh, it's something about their attitude that just like it makes me laugh. You know. And, and I don't know. They need the gospel, and I love it. But she can't stand them. Ready? Vice versa. My my wife loves kids she will sit in the nursery all day long. Me? Don't put me in the nursery. I'm not holding the baby. No, nothing against your baby. Your baby's great. Beautiful. Kind of looks like an alien, but awesome. Love you, kid. Uh, the last time I was put in the nursery was Christmas Eve. And you know, the first thing I did, I, I, I grouped up all the teenagers in the building that I could find, and I brought them to the nursery. And I said, here you go, guys here's the kids <laughs> take care of them <laughs> and I made sure that the kids were taken care of church I've never changed a diaper in my life come on now <laughs> my, my wife loves kids loves children's Ministry she is inspired when she serves in kids she is like what's the next what can I do next I I want to you know what is it what is it because her faith is alive through her works when we serves when she serves in kids. My faith is alive when I serve in youth with the teenagers. My faith is alive when I get to hop on here, when I get to do soap with you guys, right? Your faith comes alive when you find that place, that passion, that calling, because you were made on purpose for a purpose, church. And when you find what that purpose is, when you find that work that brings your faith to life, there's nothing else like it. It is so addicting and you just can't get away from it. So church, where can your faith come alive this week? Because I'm telling you, there are so many places inside of the church. There's so many places inside of the world that need to hear your story of faith, that need to see your faith on display through your works, loving people and leading them to Jesus. So don't let your faith be dead. And if it is, be real with yourself today, right? Like just say, okay, like this is where I'm at. I need to get my heart right before God. But here's the thing that Jesus does. He doesn't leave things dead. He always wants to bring life to us. And he wants to bring life to your faith today. All right. Amen, church. Come on. Let's pray. I'm going to believe for big things for you today. So, Father, thank you for each and every person inside of this call. And, Lord, I just pray that you would give us a vibrant faith today. Wherever we may be in our faith journey, whether it be figuring out what works we need to express, uh, whether it be that ace place, that alley, that street that we need to occupy. Holy Spirit, I just pray you would give us a next step that would lead us there. And Lord, I pray that you would give us uh, not only a vibrant living faith, but an enduring faith. Because just as the Bible says, if you do not grow weary in doing good, you will reap a harvest. So Lord, I just pray that you would give us a faith that has life, vibrancy, expectancy, one that sees miracles, but also a faith that doesn't wanna give up after a couple months. A faith that wants to push forward through all the years of our life, knowing, knowing, knowing with deep conviction that if we do not give up, if we do not give in, then we will see your goodness here in the land of the living God. So Holy Spirit, I just pray you would breathe on every individual inside of this call, every individual listening to this later on. And Lord, I just pray that you would show us the next. And Lord, show us, speak to us as to what you want us to do inside of our life by giving feet to our faith. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And we pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Church, God bless you. Have a great day. I hope your Thursday is spectacular. I'll talk to you.